All right, so this is episode 12 of the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, sorry, I'm eating cashews uh, with Andrew Flores over here. Um, we got Coach Andrew Flores. He, he coaches Saturdays at Apex Vaulting, also coached a lot of state meets and PRs over the years. Um, got a lot of topics to talk about. Um, you know, just write something down. Um, it's, you know, that time of year, it's spring and there's a lot of meets going on and we're getting close to state meets and nationals and such. And so I'm sure we're all experiencing this grind of the end where, you know, you're getting ready, you're hoping for a big PR, you're hoping to qualify for those big meets. And, and for me, I just like, I'm seeing all kinds of craziness, you know, at these meets. Um, I mean, I guess a big pet peeve that probably any uh, big coach would notice is runbacks. Mm. You go to the meet, you know, your kids are prepped. They know their steps. They know where they're going to go from. And there's always those couple people that are running their steps back. I mean, how do you feel about that, Andrew? I mean, I, I don't know. It was something that we did a lot in high school. Um, me personally, not. Wait, not we. Well, we, and let me correct myself, Andrew, <laughs> I personally did um, because I didn't really have a coach. I didn't really have someone who kind of broke it down and kind of went over mids and really explained how I should be running and um, where I should be running from. So the run back was pretty uh, popular because of that, and I think it's still popular because of that. Well, yeah, it's, it's like a kind of oversimplification, and people don't know enough. So like, look, you just put your pole in the box, yeah. turn around, and you just run, and somebody catches your step. It's simple. Yeah. Yeah. Except the people that are running their steps back are running in a fashion that they will not be running the other way around when they actually have to jump up. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So it's just, it's just wild. So you start to see some stuff that – and he, here's the thing. I kind of feel bad. Like when I see certain people that don't know what they're doing, they're trying their best, whatever. I kind of feel bad. And if, if they're open to, to hear advice, I'm more than happy to help anybody. And I want everybody to know that listening to this podcast, like – whether it's through our email or you want to drop a question or a comment on our Instagram or Facebook. Uh, I just answered a question about kind of pole progression yeah. recently on the Instagram, and I'm more than happy to do that. I think, you know, that that's what we're trying to provide is information for pole vultures out there. So don't get me wrong. Like, I don't want you to think that you should feel embarrassed if you run your steps back. Like, even Andrew was there at one point <laughs> in his career. It just happens, you know. But there's more efficient ways of figuring out your step than running your steps back. And and one thing that you just brought up is mid marks. Yeah. Like, um, what, what do you, how do you feel about mids? Like what, what is, what's your impression of the mid? Well, honestly, I mean, this is something that I, I personally, in, in terms of coaching, I'm still trying to wrap my head around because I, I see how important it is and I see how I guess effective it can be when you need to make changes to, to go based off of the mid. I mean, honestly, I think it's helped a lot really trying to incorporate this in my own jumps, you know, mm -hmm. and, and an understanding of it as well as, you know, coaching, like we mentioned, you know, yeah. I've been coaching that Saturday session and, you know, using this, I mean, what do you call this? What do you, so, let's okay. talk about this. So the mid chart that we use here at Apex Vaulting is David F. J uh, Johnson's mid chart, DJ's chart. Um, if you don't have it, Honestly, you can email us at Apex Vaulting. It's just apexvaulting at gmail.com. And we can tell you, uh, I can email you the mid chart. But if you look on his uh, mid chart, 
He has a red labeled section that says hand grip and a red labeled section that says six stride mark, right? So you have six total strides or three lefts to the box from the mid. So for example, for 810 grip, he has 30 feet written down. I kind of round up to nine feet. Um, sorry, DJ, if that makes you upset. Um, so nine feet, thir a 30 foot mid. Um, I'm just going to jump up. If you look at a 12 foot grip, it says a 40 foot mid. Okay. Then we can jump up again. 16 one grip would be a 54 mid. Now I'm going to be honest. I think you have to kind of um, personalize the mids depending on how the kids run. You know, if they have a real nice tight step, they might be closer to these mids. If they're overstriding at all, like you get a beginner and they're going heel toe or something like that. Sure. They might have a little bit more difficulty hitting that mid. They might have to be further out at the mid. Um, but I'll be honest, even some of my best runners, they're out at the mid on DJ's chart. But I'll tell you another way that the mid chart really helps because now you think about it, you have three more lefts to the box from the mid. So when I get a beginner and I'm like, oh, okay, you're gripping nine, run from 30. That's where they're going to start their three left approach. And then as you go back a left, depending on the speed of the runner, you might go back 10 feet, 11 feet, maybe even 12 feet for really some of those big guys that are jumping like 16 plus. So that, that's how we figure out the run. You know what I mean? Like we progressively go back on the runway and we just do some math, um, but not running our steps back. No, no, that's, no. that's not really going to work, you know? And it kind of throws off the warm up, man. Like, yo, it, like that always takes a little bit more time. You know, if you got like a couple guys that are running those steps back, it kind of messes up the flow of warm-ups, and you know that you run the chance, especially if you got there a little late, your kid might not get a full warm-up then. Absolutely. Because there's a row of kids trying to run their steps back, and inevitably, they run them back, and the kid that was supposed to catch their step misses it, so oh, they yeah. got to do it again. You know? Oh, man. That takes away. Yeah, I mean, and going back to what you were saying about this, I guess a question for you or what I try to wrap my head around is just the individual athlete, right? Mm -hmm. Because this can't always apply to every single athlete, right? This isn't like um, there's no just a cookie-cutter approach to figuring out. Yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't think that you can religiously follow mm -hmm. the mid-chart. Like I was saying, depending on the stride exactly. length and how the, how the person runs, you want – them closer or further out from what DJ has on this mm -hmm. mid. But again, I think, I think kind of like vaguely the closer you get to there, the better, mm -hmm. you know, but also I, what I love about the mid chart, it's a perfect way to see how fast that kid is getting. You know, if their run is, is starting to move back and their mid is starting to move back, like let's say they used to be able to hit a 45 mid, but now they're hitting a, a 47 and they still have the, same stride frequency, just their stride is opening up. That means they're running faster. That's good. On the other hand, if they used to hit a 45 and now they're struggling to hit a 43, mm. wow, you know that kid's in trouble. You know, you're, you're going to have to make an adjustment there. And, we, and we, we've talked about a little bit about the mid uh, on the Calvin Hartman podcast. So I don't, I don't want to beat this, uh, no, of course not. you know, down too much. But it's, this is basically uh, one of the concepts that I think you really got to understand when you're going to the meets, you know, the mid makes you standardize the run and it allows you to see whether the beginning of the run is bad or the end of the run, right? Like if a person hits the mid and they, they're start, starting nice and tall, fine, but they're under at, at takeoff, they probably got to get their feet down. If they're behind the mid, maybe they're not opening up the run in the beginning, you know, so it allows you to see it a certain way. 
And, and again, this is just a concept. And, mm. and I think a lot of times when I'm going to States and I see sometimes like, look, you good athletes are going to inevitably figure it out. But the thing is you can see when concepts are missing. Yeah. So if you don't see that nice progressive run, that's a problem. Like how far are you going to get just blasting out the back and going full tilt? That's only going to work for so long and you're going to run into some hiccups, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's other things that like when I'm at the meets, like kids don't have a high pole carry. Ah. You know what I mean? Like, like again, regardless of the technique that you coach, if your kid doesn't have a high pole carry, they're supporting the pole the whole way down the runway. Slow them down. That's yeah. It's going to slow them down. Do they have a free pole drop or are they forcing the plan? This is again, going to slow them down. Do they know how to jump up? I mean, I think we've all heard about a penultimate step. You know, you need a little bit longer second to last step and a short last step to jump up. Like, do your kids know how to jump up? Have you drilled that, you know? How about pole speed? Are you watching your athlete's pole speed? Is there a smooth rotation of the pole to vertical or past vertical? Sometimes I don't think so. Like, I've seen people come in, they hit the pole, and that thing sinks. The pole sinks down and barely gets to vertical, and it has a slow unbend, which kind of also leads to kind of pole breaks. Well, that's what I was about to bring up, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, just the pole breaking because sometimes they're hanging or maybe pulling with the right hand, uh, leaning back or rocking back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, uh, like to uh, call it. Yeah, I mean, that's extremely important. Yeah, I and and so that that's the thing. It's like pole vaulting, you know, as an event, it's one thing, right? From the first step to the end is one thing, but there's a lot of concepts that you have to teach young vaulters to create that full jump, you know? And these are important. Again, it's like pole carry, free drop, jumping up. Is there pole speed? How are they swinging up? How are they getting inverted? You know, these are all things that you have to start to think about. And do you have drills or ways to teach those different concepts? You know, it's like, you can't just like, I know for a lot of people like, Pole and just like stick the pole in the box, turn around, run seven lefts back, put a bungee up, and just try to wrap the bungee the whole time. You're kind of just hitting your head against the wall constantly there, you know. And and I see it like, you know, uh, recently we had one of our high school guys, Aaron Petchy, uh, PR. He jumped 13.6 with 12.10 grips, so he pushed uh, roughly 16 inches. Um, and at his attempt at 14, he had a good good attempt that would have been 22 inch push. And the thing is. Last year, before I started coaching him, because I started working with him this December, um, he was gripping 13 to jump 12. Yeah. So you're talking about negative four-inch push, which is wild. And, and that kind of leads into my next thing. is like, I don't think people are looking at the numbers, man. Yeah. I think a lot of people, yes, everybody knows their PR, right? Like, we all know our PR. What's my personal record? How high have I ever jumped, right? And maybe you even keep track of, like, Three left PR, four left PR, five left PR. Like some people even go that far. But I don't know a lot of people that are tracking their grip and their push. You know, what is your best grip? What is your best push? What happens when you grip higher? Does your push go down? It shouldn't. If you're gripping up because you're supposed to, your push should increase as well. And I don't feel like a lot of people are doing this. Like uh, it's and it, and it gets so frustrating because when you see kids who are actually at the meet, and their only goal is, like, trying to roll the pole over. Like, I mean, how do you feel, Andrew, when you get to a meet and you see something like that? Like, obviously not from our kids, but you know what I mean? Like, 
what are some thoughts that go through your head? Well, it's interesting. I mean, first thing is first, no one cares about how effective you're being. You know, it's not really about your grip or push. It's about whether or not you're going to clear that bar. And honestly, you have three chances to do it. So a lot of people have that kind of mentality, bigger pull, bigger grip, and I just kind of run, hit it hard, and really hope for the best, which doesn't really get you to what you want to get. You know, it doesn't really get you there. Um, with, with that being said, I mean, I'm not too sure, man. I see it all the time. Sometimes I think these people are just hanging over the bars, you know, gripping 14 plus, maybe just to clear opening height, whether that's 13 or even lower, you know. Uh, this grip and push concept, I've really, really only have heard of it here. You know, this is something that only we've talked about and that I hear here at Apex. But I, I see, you know, most other athletes, obviously I'm not going to throw everyone in there, but I, I just don't see it being that important to other people, you know, yeah. at least in our pole vault community. No, yeah. Look, I, I totally understand what you're saying because it, it was funny. Like uh, there was a kid that jumped 13-6 at the meet that Aaron jumped it, but the kid was gripping 13, seven. Mm. Now it was a big PR for that kid as well, but that kid was like struggling to roll the pole over. And it's like, you could see, it was like the only thought process for that kid was like, all right, I got to get this pole to penetrate. And, and the thing is, that's a tough spot to be in. If your only thought process is, can I roll this pole over? I feel like you're in trouble now because you're not actually focusing on pole vaulting. You're just like, almost on survival mode. Like, I, I don't want to land in the box, yeah. you know? And I don't feel like that's a good way to jump. Like, there's an analogy that I was thinking about. I read an article about powerlifting, you know, and I, I love the lifting analogies because I, I feel like, you know, kind of with lifting, same with pole vault, we have resistance, right? Grip and, and pull. So with powerlifters, you know, it's like one thing that I read is like you shouldn't be lifting weights at practice that you're going to fail at. Interesting. Like if you're constantly lifting weights at practice and failing, you're kind of building that um, central nervous system or neural patterning patterning to failure. Failure, that's what I was thinking. And so like what I feel like a lot of times like you hear, it's like you'll hear a kid goes to a practice and spends two hours trying to roll a pole over, getting stood up or running through. And it's like, well, what do you think is going to happen at the meet now? Yeah, you might do a little bit better because of adrenaline, but it's like, you've still built in that, yeah. that neural feedback of like, okay, I run through or get stood up. And so you're not really preparing to pull those. So it's like, why practice failure? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like wh- when you're coaching your Saturday sessions, I mean, wh- how do you like maybe describe your process? Like how do you take the kids through practice to kind of avoid failure, let's say? Well, I mean, the mid chart is one thing, you know, and it's easy because I, I mean, going back to that, we use it as a model. It's just a tool because everyone's different, right? So the way you coach has to be different. But when you see an athlete that's struggling, you know, you can't just have them continuously doing the same thing. If one, they're not understanding, they're not learning from it, and and they're not getting the feedback that they need, you, you need to kind of cut it short or, or do something different. I mean, I can... Yeah, you might have to bring them back to a drill. Well, absolutely. And I, I think about the times where I've been unsuccessful at threes or fives or sevens, whatever it's been, where I need to, you know, go back down to a smaller approach to really make sure that I get the technique down right. Mm-hmm. I mean, going back to just today, you know, we did a lot of uh, just takeoff, you know, and making sure that I was jumping up. 
and, and it all it all translates into a, a better jump. You know, granted, I didn't take too many full jumps, but at the, by the end of practice, I felt that my takeoff was a little bit freer. You know, I, I wasn't hitting the box as hard, and because of that, I was able to to pull and move up the pole a little bit quicker, which produced better jumps. You know, so I mean, going back to the my kids and my sessions, it's a learning process. You know, and I'm I'm getting used to them, what works for them. You know, what what really um, will get them to jump better and, and higher. But I, I think a lot of it also goes back to, to training, you know, and, and practice. But they need to leave practice feeling successful. And yes. not every single practice they're going to jump higher, you know, not every meet they're going to PR at. So I, I do think that these failures are extremely important. And I've been blessed enough and, and happy enough to, to get feedback from my athletes and and experience a lot of prs and and they're they're so grateful for it but i also get texts or phone calls when they don't do so good yeah you know and and i think that i guess the perspective they have on their failures is something that i i really want to instill um i i really want them to get something positive out of out of a negative experience because life hits hard you know and whether it's pole vault or you know your work or your personal life um, there will be setbacks in life, failures. Right, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you have those setbacks or failures, you know, you have to figure out why, you know. But, you know, I, I hate to go back, but I, it's just I cannot believe how many people s- spend countless hours and countless practices going through failure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand that. Like, t- to me, it's like, if, if a kid keeps getting stood up, like, okay, once, maybe they were late with their plant or they were a little bit tight, okay, give them an adjustment, give them another shot. They come down again and get stood up. Okay, maybe one more chance. After that, you got to grip down. You got to go down to a smaller pole. Make it easier for the athlete to have success. And there's no shame if a kid's not getting it. All right, let's go back down to a one, a two, a three. Let's drill this. Till we get it, you know. Um, obviously, if you're at a meet, so you're at the meet. You're story, competing yeah. now. Yeah. But my my point, well, my whole point with this is like, I think a lot of people waste so much time at practices failing, yeah. having failure that when they go to a meet, it's a crapshoot. Mm. Like you literally need all three attempts for every single oh, bar, yeah. otherwise you're not you're not clearing. Yeah. You know, and it's crazy. Like even today, like one of my girls, like okay, she didn't. She didn't do anything crazy. Like she, she didn't jump super, super high. But the thing was, it was like she had zero misses. Mm. She won on attempts today because she had a perfect day. But the thing is, she never comes to practice and gets stood up all day. She knows every time she goes down the runway, she's going to feel success. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she can actually focus on what's going on with her jump instead of you know thinking about, oh my God, am I going to get into the pit? Like, I think if you were to ask her after the meet, you're like, hey, were you worried about, you know, landing on the mats? No, she wasn't worried about that. Every, every jump, she was landing deep, you know. Um, but the, actually, the other athlete that she was competing against, you could see, like, the girl, the girl was struggling. Like, she would run down, stop, run down, stop, get stood up, you know. And it's like, that girl could have beaten my athlete, but she didn't have that consistency. And she's probably spending a lot of time at practices failing, you know. Yeah. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. I, I want to, I guess, bring up a question because we talk a lot about failures, right? What about successes? What about 
um, when you come to a practice and you want to have a lot of fun because let's face it, pole vault is extremely fun. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're here and all you want to do is wrap a high bungee or clear a high bar. Um, you know, how, how is that different from kind of what we're looking to do in terms of training and becoming effective and efficient so that when you do have those competitions, you're able to, to perform at the highest level? Because that's really what it comes down to, right? We were talking about the grip and the push, but, you know, I think where maybe some other athletes or coaches fall short is that they may just want to rush uh, the grip and, and get you on the highest grip or the biggest pole that you can get on without really training you so that eventually you can even surpass those grips and those poles and, and jump much higher than you even think you can. I'm going to say something that is a paradox, right? Or kind of sounds like a paradox, right? It's like at, at first, you know, and what's a paradox? It's, some, it's a statement that at first doesn't seem to make sense, but upon closer inspection, it does make sense, Right. The slower you go, the faster you get there. Tortoise and the hare? Yeah. Because <laughs> think about that. Like, I, I'll use another example. And again, we're talking about high school stuff here. I, I'm using some high school examples just from this week. But we had a girl that just started jumping with us, oh gosh, maybe December, January. Uh, Kelly. I think you know She's Kelly. And... Man, when Kelly first came in, it was like, this is going to be rough. (laughs) Like, she was having trouble getting on the mats. Like, she couldn't wrap the bungee. You know what I mean? Like, we had to really drill stuff. Like, she didn't have a big track background. You know, she actually, she was friends with Nico. That's how she started coming in. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about now. So she started coming in because of Nico. And it was like, you know, it was rough in the beginning. And it was funny. A former athlete of ours was at the meet who should have been vaulting for a couple of years, came here on and off during a year. So not like consistently training. And they're both at the meet. Kelly was gripping 9-9, which according to the mid-chart, if you are gripping 9-10 according to the mid-chart, you should jump 8. Well, Kelly PR jumped 8 with 9-9 grip. Nice. Right? So beat the mid-chart by a little bit. A little, little bit. bit. Yo, this other girl was gripping something like 10-10 or 11-1, jumped 7-6. Well, 10, 10, you're supposed to be able to jump 9, 6. <laughs> 11, 1, you're supposed to be able to jump 10. This girl jumped 7, 6. And you could see that the only thought process this girl had was like try to hit the box and bend the pole, get my grip up, and then she could literally just lift her legs up. And hang. She w- yeah, she was just hanging and lifting her legs up, and then she would do this like nice front roll on the mats, which looked athletic. So the thing is the girl is athletic. The girl is athletic, but it's that short-sightedness of rushing. Yeah. I want to get my grip up. I want to bend the pole. And I think that's why this, this athlete actually stopped working with us. And the thing is, like, for me, it was like, wow. So you wanted to take the shortcut, right? Like, this girl had worked with us on and off for a year prior to this year. Kelly started working with us maybe around December. Kelly just beat her. No pole vaulting bra- background before she came here either. This girl had been jumping before she came here. And so the thing is, like, I'm going to go back to that paradox. The slower you go, the faster you get there. Like we took Kelly slowly through our progression, you know, gave her those skills, high pole carry, jumping up, you know, taught her swing to a sit, swing to the belly, then full jump, you know, took her through that progression. 
She's jumping eight feet now. You know what I mean? With nine nine grip. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. And this other person who's kind of like in a rush. Because I thought, I think you said it perfectly. It's like, I think a lot of other people are in a rush. Yeah. And so they keep trying to push grip, push grip. And you know, sometimes it works, right? Like you grip that girl up to 11 and she clears seven, six for the first time. And you're like, see, she PR, good PR, job. Exactly. Except you don't realize that you're not efficient, right? If we go back to grip plus push, yeah. you know, guys, look at DJ's chart. If you want to know whether you're on track, look at DJ's chart. He has the hand grips, the, the mid mark, but then he also has the bar height that you're supposed to clear, mm. right? So it's like 8, 10, 6, 6, 9, 2, 7 feet, 9, 6, 7, 6, 9, 10, 8 feet, 10, 2, 8, 6, all the way down to 16, 11, 20 feet. And just in case you're wondering, think about it this way. The higher you can grip, the better athlete you are the more you should be able to push above your grip, right? That beginner girl that's gripping 810 is probably not physically very dominant or doesn't have the skills yet, and that's why she's only jumping 6'6 six, six with 810 grip, you know? Now, in the case of the other girl, right, and more important than being efficient is going back to those neural pathways that you were talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. This girl's gripping 11 feet. She's All she's got to do is lift up her legs. If she hangs for long enough, she should be able to clear that. Her coach might be ecstatic. She might also be ecstatic. Right. That might be a big deal for her yeah, school. Yeah, you know what? She, she may she be She scored able to... like three points at the meet or something. <laughs> That's fantastic, you know? right? Now, you think about this. She keeps practicing that way. She may be able to grip 11-6, 11-9. Maybe someday 12. Maybe. And you know what? She might PR again. She might jump eight. Or maybe even eight Maybe six. 10. No. Think about it. With 12, 12 plus yeah. grip, you could be jumping 10 plus. It's possible, right? Right. And But now it's like, think about that. Talk about yeah. that inefficiency, yeah. right? So now that girl is a tw uh, gripping 12, jumping 10. Well, 12 foot grip, you should be jumping 11, 6. Mm. And look, at the club, we've had girls grip 11, 9, jump 12, 3. You yeah. know, we've had girls gripping 12, 7, jump 13, 1. Girls, guys, I mean, off the charts. I mean, 12, 3 grip, I've had guys jump 13, 6. I think that's the difference. And, you know, maybe I'm biased because I've really only had the experience of working within one club, even though I, I did briefly work with uh, TC, you know, my high school yeah, coach yeah. who was a volunteer and came and, around. And, well, wait, wait, before you go on yeah. and, and you can continue, don't, yeah. don't lose your thought. But, like, the thing with TC is, like, I commend Pretty every high. high school coach that's Fantastic. out there trying to help kids Absolutely. and get them started. No. There is nothing wrong. Like, I get it, man. I get it. You're just trying to get kids excited, get them in the sport. You know, I just – and TC was great. I think he, he always good. appreciated any time I could be there totally. or I could help you guys out. Absolutely. But there's some coaches, it's almost like they take it as an attack on their pride. Oh. And you should be open. I mean, I remember when I first started coaching, I was asking everybody and anybody for advice. Yeah. It's like – I, and, and I'm going to mention a name, Andy Petrowski. He was the Clifton High School coach at the time. He had coached at County Records. I would chew Andy's ear off till I exhausted everything he could tell me wow. in his career. And then I started learning from other people. Yeah. You know, and so it's like you try to get as much information as you can from every person that you meet. Absolutely. And once you've exhausted all those avenues, you go on to the next person. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And you learn more. I know Dave Tate of Elite FTS. Uh, he's another powerlifting guy. But, like, he talks about this uh, all the time. It's like you, you have to continually change who you're training with or learning from and stay ahead of the game. Um, you know, that, that's how you keep growing, evolving, and developing. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
but I feel like sometimes people, some of these high school coaches get defensive. You Absolutely. Know? You know, they, like you said, their pride is hurt, you know? Yeah. They feel that you're kind of coming in and maybe attacking them. Whereas they should see it as an opportunity to learn something, you know. Yeah, really absolutely. Because they can, you know, teach that to their to their athletes. I mean, that was one of the things with TC. Uh, he was a great great guy, you know, and he really wanted what's best for us. And he knew that his knowledge of pole vault and technique wasn't maybe the greatest, or that he mm -hmm. wasn't um, on top of it, continuing to learn. You know, I, I work in the financial industry, and we need to. Con continue our education yearly to keep our licenses, you know? Mm -hmm. So I can, I can kind of relate it to that. But what I meant to say or what I wanted to say was, you know, and you spoke very highly of TC, but, um, you know, he, he was kind of volunteering and, and really helping us out the best he could. Um, and he was open to getting information from you whenever he could because he, he kind of, um, I, don't wanna, I don't know if the right word is looked up to you, but he knew that you had something to offer that he, mm -hmm. he necessarily couldn't. And, and what I wanted to bring up was, I guess, just the the standards that that you have, mm -hmm. you know, because going back to grip and push, um, one, this isn't something that I that I see often. We spoke about Kelly, her grip, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. the kind of athlete she's she is, and um, the training that she's had in comparison to to another girl who may be just as athletic or maybe or more, more, right? Yeah. Because you said she was able to handle right. a lot more grip, but is not efficient enough to produce the result that Kelly is. So it's interesting that you, that you have that standard. And I, I, if you can, I, I mean, I'd, I'd want you to talk a little bit more about it because I think that, I think that's, it's important. You know, I, I've gone to meets where I've seen people uh, gripping, you know, 14 plus, probably close to 15, uh, just to open, whether it's 13, 13, six or, or 14. And, you know, I, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I guess, you know, having this background, having this information and, and being trained in this, in this way, you know, I, I would never abuse the grip. Is that, is that, what yeah, I mean, to say? I, I think that's like, again, it's a, it's a, it's a shortcut. Yeah. I think sometimes, um, you can force some grip and maybe get over some bars, mm. but then you get into a dead end because now you've, you've built in these techniques that actually slow down the ball. And we always talked about how from the moment you leave the ground to the moment that you clear a bar is roughly 1.4 seconds. So your jump has to be fast, you know? Um, and heck, even Peter Roach, you know, Peter Roach just started training with me. Uh, I think it's been two months now and, and I can definitely see some improvement. I mean, we haven't seen a PR bar wise yet, um, but he jumped 79 last year and man, has he looked really good, really good. But we're just kind of going through poles and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it'll be fun to see where Pete ends up, you know, mm. but even he is starting to see the difference, you know, of, okay, do you just run down and like, he used to have not a progressive buildup in his run. He used to just sprint out and then hit the box as hard as he could. Now it's like, there's a little bit different thought process, yeah. a little bit different dynamic. And he's starting to pick up these concepts of pull carry, tall run, progressive buildup, jumping up at takeoff, which is huge. I mean, Pete is a guy that he's Huffman rolled over 17 feet. <laughs> so, and, and that's because of a flat takeoff and, and, and a delay in the swing, you know? Um, and, and here, and I'm going to say something, and I'm going to post a picture and put it on Instagram too after this, but look, there's people on this planet that still think the earth is flat. <laughs> this is true. There are. 
So I don't expect everybody to understand the science behind pole vaulting, right? Like there's, there's flat earthers out there. There's definitely going to be some people that don't understand what's going on in pole vault. They're going to be like, just grip up, grip up, you got to grip up, <laughs> you know, but, um, but you know, yeah, you have to have that standard because even now on the higher end with someone like Peter Roach and, and he, he's had a, a pretty decent push off, but you know, you want to be elite, you got to go for that three, four foot push off as a guy. You want to be elite as a female. You got to be going for that two plus push off, two foot plus push off as a female. I mean, I, and now maybe I'm completely off base, but as far as I know from the information that I received, Sandy Morris, I think, was like gripping top of a 14.7 to jump 16 feet the first time at least. Uh, I know of females that have gripped 14.6 and have not jumped 14 yet. So they have elite level grips but not an elite level vault. And that's a problem. And, and the thing is, once someone gets to that point, that deep into their career, they really have to understand that something needs to change. Otherwise, they're really stuck. I mean, goodness gracious, the girl that I coached that jumped 13, nine and three quarters gripped 13. And there are girls jumping over 14 feet to jump that same bar. They should be wildly outperforming that mark, you know? Um, so that's, that's where my standards come from. It's from the top end to the bottom end, because the thing is I can't afford to have a girl that's gripping nine, nine, not jump eight feet. Like DJ's chart says, in fact, I want her to jump higher nine, nine grip. Let's go nine. Can we go nine? I think we can, you know? So, uh, and, and it's funny, Meg, you know, pretty dynamic girl, but she's short. She's five, one. Mm -hmm. She gripped nine, six and jumped eight, six. Right. So she gripped less than Kelly. And, and jumped six inches higher. Nine, six grip, you're only supposed to jump seven, six. Meg's already a foot above the chart. You know, this is a girl that's very dynamic. That I think, you know, she's only a freshman. She's 5'1", she's 95 pounds. She's going to develop. She's going to do very Absolutely. well. But I can't afford to not have them in the beginning doing that stuff because I'm, I'm looking forward to what happens to a Meg when she's a senior in high school. What happens to a Meg when she's a senior in college? Could she maybe someday be elite? Well, she needs these skills if she's going to be elite. You know, and that's, that's kind of what, what drives me. Um, and, and the thing is, again, you, you have to look at the numbers. You have to be charting your grip and your push and what's happening. Are both of those numbers going up? Cause both of those numbers have to go up if you're going to be making progress. Cause how, how often do you see that? You see a kid grip six inches, a foot higher, their PR stays the same yeah. or they PR three inches. Well, I don't like that math. That's not efficient. You know, and one of the analogies I always use with everybody um, before we get to your thought is like, look, let's say two people have a business, right? Let's say a roofing business, mm. right? Okay. I work 40 hours a week. I make $100,000 a year. Not bad. Now, Andrew, Andrew is busting his butt. He works 70 hours a week. Ooh. All right. But. He makes 50000 a year. Should he work more hours to catch up with me, or does he need to become more efficient? You know what I mean? What, what do you think? T take it from there. Well, that's food for thought. I mean, uh, I mean especially you work in finance. I work in me? finance, so everything you said is completely accurate, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, efficiency is key. I think back, I mean... I don't want to talk about finance, so I'm going to bring it back to the athletes, right? Okay. I mean, thinking about the neural pathways that we're creating when we're, we're, 
were vaulting the right way, learning the correct technique. I mean, you brought up Pete, you know, he wasn't um, training under your model. You know? yeah. And now you see, I guess, the progress that he's making, even in the short time that you've been working with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it should be extremely interesting to see, you know, what he's able to do with that. You yeah. Know? Now that his thought process is a little bit different, you know, and then going back to someone who's maybe just learning, you know, learning the right way. I mean, what what can what can come of this three, four, even five, six years into the future, you know, if they're serious about this and they really love the sport. I mean, I think about kids who are extremely good athletes who maybe have jumped significantly higher than they could have at the time. I mean, I think of someone specifically who I probably shouldn't mention, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but you know, he was able to jump a bar that was pretty, um, impressive at the time in high school too unfortunately was not able to do it in his college career. And this isn't just one kid. This happens a lot. And I think it goes back to the training and what he learned and how he learned it. And now he's trying to produce the same kind of vault that he was able to do maybe that maybe one or two times while he was in high school, not having the proper training, but just because he was athletic enough to be able to, to do that. Yeah, and, he just managed to roll that he, pole he over did one it time. Somehow, you know, maybe he did it two times or three times and then just never can do it again. I mean, how many times do we hear of vaulters with pretty impressive marks that are, are consistently jumping one or two feet under their PR? And you know what? I get it. We're not always going to jump our PR or PR. But, you know, to I, I don't think an efficient vaulter who has an understanding of our sport and what we do should be that far away from, from that height. Well, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, let, let me add to that. I, I think if a vaulter understands certain concepts, right, then they also know how to plan to make those concepts better. Right. Like you have to plan, like when you're going into a year or you're looking at the next couple of years, what's the plan? How are we going to get you from point A to point B? And I think too often and even sometimes at the with with elites, you know, you see people that are like, well, we're just trying to squeeze out the next bar. We're not going to make any changes. We're just trying to squeeze out the next bar. And that's okay. That's admirable. But. It's like with proper planning and preparation, if you actually increase the efficiency of some of the concepts, whether it's the pole carry, whether it's the jump up at takeoff, whether it's your swing speed, what, whatever, maybe you can get a bigger PR. Mm. Maybe you won't squeeze out the next couple inches. Maybe you'll boom one. You know? But I, I don't think people are always planning and preparing. You know, They lose sight. And they try to do it the cheap way by just gripping up, just getting up a pull. I mean, the other night I was talking about Craig Van Leeuwen. Um, Craig was a Division Three national champion at 17, five and a half. Um, the next year he jumped 17, eight and a half um, with 15, nine grip. Um, yeah, he gripped 15, nine, jumped 17, eight and a half. So you're talking about um, one, two, two feet, seven and a half inch push, right? So not bad. So that's uh, 24, 7, so 30, 31 and a half inch push. You know, it's okay. But even if you look at DJ's chart, 15-9 grip is supposed to equal 18, which he had a near miss at 18 at Reno. So I still, yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I thought even back then, I was like, you know, Craig, we, we should be jumping higher than 18 with 15-9 grip. 
You know, that's, that's what I thought. Wow. Oh, my goodness. We were at a meet recently. There was a dude gripping 16-3 and jumped 17-4. And, and that's, that's fine. That's fine. And then, you know, I made that recent post on Instagram with Penn Relays. Like, is it possible to jump above your grip? Mm. Well, on the female side at Penn Relays, I mean, I don't think I saw more than a handful of girls jump above their grip. Most girls were clearing bars that were below their grip. And then on the men's side, we were watching guys attempt 1511. So not all of them made it. And they were jumping on five meter poles, 16 five poles, gripping 16. So you are gripping 16 and you cannot consistently clear 16, which is eight inch push. For a male gripping 16, that's unbelievable. I mean, I just told you that I had a girl gripping 9-6, jump 8-6, right? Okay, that's not 8-inch push, but all right. And then how about my girl that jumped 11-6 this year was gripping 11-3, and she consistently cleared 11. So she's she's uh, got more push efficiency than some of these guys gripping 16, which is not that's, – that's not possible. That shouldn't be happening. And going back to Craig, when, when he was jumping that – 17.5, 17.8 bar, gripping 15.9, he was opening at 17 feet. So Craig would be opening a meet with uh, just under two foot push. He'd be opening a meet just under two foot push. That, and this is what I'm not getting. Like when I watch some of this stuff, I'm just baffled. And so it's like whether you look on the low end high school when you're talking about, let's say, you know, girls jumping eight feet or high end, and you're talking about guys trying to qualify for USAs, you still see this game being played. And it's, it, it really comes down to efficiency. You know, can you be efficient on, on the pole, you know? Well, I, I want to I challenge you because does it actually come down to efficiency? I think bottom line, it's about what you cleared. No one's like, whoa, 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 you cleared 17.4, you cleared 17.8, you cleared 18 feet. What was your grip? What pole were you on? That... That, that's not, no one's really asking that. Unless you're involved with the sport. They want to know what you jump, and, and that's important. I, so I get that. Yeah. I get that. But I think if, if you're a coach yeah. or if you're an athlete that's really in love with this sport and in love with the process yeah. or process, as that video says, <laughs> right? Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a motivational video called Small Tasks. You have to embrace the process. Embrace the process. If you have a dream, a dream. embrace the process. <laughs> Look it up. It's a great video. <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, if you're really into the process, you have to almost be like a detective, mm. right? So a detective shows up to the crime scene. You know, there's that chalk line of the person, you know, and you now, you can't just be like, all right, there's a person dead, whatever. Yeah, everybody knows that. Sure. Everybody else knows that, right? Like the people in the stands at Penn Relays, that's fine. Yeah. They're clapping when someone clears a bar. I love it. I get it. They're just seeing someone boom over a bar. They don't know that. But if you're a coach or you're an athlete, you need to be the detective. You need to figure out how did that happen. Be the forensic scientist on site and break it down. You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. If you aspire to jump higher, I can't believe I just rhymed that. (laughs) Then you you need to break it down and figure out what, what the formula is to jump higher. You know what I mean? It's more than just, well, I cleared the bar. Yeah, okay, you cleared the bar, but how are we going to do that again? 
Because if you don't know how you did it, you're not going to do it again, Absolutely. which you brought up. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's plenty of guys, PR, and then just never hit that PR again. Never again. You know? Yeah. Research and analysis, people, if it's not working out for you, you got to make some changes. You know, I, I think it's extremely important. You know, and I, the reason I brought up the bottom line it's all about what height you clear is because of the conversation we were having before in terms of standards. Mm-hmm. But I know people have maybe brought up or have asked about effectiveness or grip versus push, you know? And if someone is listening to this podcast, if the one thing they get out of it is that the effectiveness between the grip and the push will, I guess, provide or translate into to better jumps i mean is that is that really the most important thing for you right now like why why is this effectiveness so important why do you hold the grip and the push to such a high standard well i think one you need numbers to back up what you're doing you know to know if you're on the right path Mm. right it's like a sprinter imagine they just ran their sprint workouts and no one timed them they wouldn't know if they were getting faster or slower day by day and they would just go to the meet and something would happen, but they wouldn't know why or why not. You know, it's like, I I work with sprinters at Ramapo College too, and it's like, you know, I time them. I know, I know when we go to the meet, what's gonna happen is there's no surprises. And we know there's a direct correlation between their training and their performance at the meets. And so same thing now with a pole vulture. If you're not monitoring your grip and your push, your mid mark, you won't know what to expect, you know? And the thing is to me, you know, especially like, you know, you check out all these Instagram videos, like a lot of people posting Instagram videos, there are a plethora of guys in America that are gripping 15 plus, right? Like, and over here on the mid trail, let's just go 15 two grip should be a 17 foot jump, right? So 15 plus, there's a plethora of guys gripping 15 plus. I know there's a plethora of girls gripping 13 six plus and 13.6 says 14 right here, right? But they're not jumping that. You know what I mean? Well, why? Because it's not an efficient jump. And you need to start breaking down what's missing in your jump, you know? And and you uh, you brought up before we started the podcast, um, I posted something on Facebook, and I don't even remember what I posted, to be honest now. The Red Bull thing? No, I don't remember, but Brian Munshine uh, commented. I don't. I honestly don't remember what what I posted. I don't. I don't oh, remember. it was the whole thing about pen relays about can people <laughs> jump, jump above their, their grips? grips. Yeah. And so Brian Munshine posed this question. He said, "If you had two athletes, athlete A and athlete B, and they both had the same runway speed, same runway speed, they both jump fourteen, but one is gripping thirteen. One is gripping 14 to jump 14. Who's more efficient? Now, here's my thing. If there was a case like this, now, again, we're not even looking at video. No, this is just... This is completely hypothetical. Yep. The thing I would say is they're both inefficient, but with different parts of their jump. The guy that's gripping 13, jumping 14, he's obviously very good on the pole. Yeah. But I guarantee he's probably flat at takeoff. He's not jumping up, and that's why his grip is 13. So if he could make his takeoff more efficient, meaning jump up, then maybe his grip would go up. And he probably would push more. Yeah. 
So he would jump higher. Now, the guy that's gripping 14 and jumping 14, he's probably slow on the pole. He's not swinging up fast. Maybe he's blocking himself out. I don't, I don't know what's happening. But clearly something's wrong there as far as his swing speed. So if he cleaned that up, he would push more. So maybe, like, again, it's a hypothetical situation. Of course. Maybe both guys would end up with 14-3, 14-6 grip, or maybe they both stay at 14-foot grip, and they jump 15. That's a possibility. So they're both inefficient in different areas. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, the guy who's gripping 13 is more efficient. No, yeah, he's more efficient as far as push is concerned, but clearly there's inefficiency there if they're both having the same runway speed. So that's the thing. I mean, also... I mean, I guess you could have a really short dude and a really tall dude, and that, yeah, that might throw so another wrench in there. But just, you know, thinking about that, yeah. you, you can see how this starts to have an impact. You know, so it's like, every, and everybody has inefficiencies. Nobody's perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. So you have to look and see where you have an inefficiency and try to take care of that. So that you become a better vaulter. You know what I mean? Like dudes that are gripping 15, jump 17 plus. Girls that are jumping thir- uh, gripping 13, 6, you should be jumping 14 plus. You know, move your way up on that, that elite status. Yeah. You know, you can do it, you know. And if you're in high school, you know, depending on the state, like, dude, you want to be an 11, 12 foot girl, you do not need to be gripping 13 or 12, 6 to do that. You want to be an elite level guy in your state and jump 14, 15 feet? Guess what? You don't have to grip 15 or 14.6 to do that. You know, you can do it more technically than that. And that's why this is such a big thing for me. And it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's about learning these concepts, drilling these concepts, nice tall run, nice high pole carry, free pole drop, jumping up, swing speed, all that stuff, making sure that the pole is rolling over smoothly. These are huge concepts. And it's like, you still don't see this being done. And I don't think there's one enough information out there on this stuff. And I definitely don't think that there's enough places for this information. You know, there's not enough information. There's not enough places for this information. And there's not enough people looking at this information. I mean, what, one of my pet peeves is starting to be like this. Yo, we are all too nice in the pole vault world. Yo, dudes like post video of their jumps and everybody's just like, awesome, that's great, whatever. I don't see any negative comments. And I'm not, I'm not saying we need to, like, troll each other. Joe, bro. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get him on the podcast. But, but I'm not saying we need to be, like, trolls or anything like that. But, like, look, like, we need to start thinking more technically. It's great to pat each other on the back. But it's, like, not everybody has a perfect jump out there. And we all need to be working on something, yeah. you know. Um, and you need to search out for that information, too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, we're, we're talking about standards and we're talking about efficiency and uh, becoming better vaulters. And I, I, I always say, I think this translates into all other areas of life. But, you know, the last podcast we did, uh, us two together, I, I think I ended it with some cheesy quotes saying, raise your standards, you know. And you're talking about elite level vaulters who, who maybe want to be able to jump 17 or 18 plus, but, you know, are really forcing that grip. You know, and like you said, maybe we challenge them to uh, to be able to do it with a smaller grip, be more efficient, move the pole quicker. You know, roll that over. And, well, and, and, and if and if you do have that higher grip, yeah. jump higher. Jump higher, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, don't don't force it, but 
go back to the technique, you know, really make sure you, you got it down. There's nothing wrong with continuing to do drills and really, uh, you know, getting it down to it. So it's solid and you have yeah. an efficient, you know, nice jump. Yeah. Well, e- even Jim B. Miller, I remember when we had Jim B. Miller on the podcast, he mentioned, it's like, look, stop just focusing on freeze frames mm-hmm. of video and look for the rhythm. That's good. Is there a rhythm to your jump? Is it smooth or do you have passive phases? Everybody can freeze frame a certain part of their jump. And be like, oh, look at this great position. Perfect, yeah. This is a great position. It's false. 99% of the rest of the jump was terrible. But at least I hit this one one frame. I can put it as a profile pick. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, look, if all you're after is profile picks, have fun. But, I mean, if you want to you have a big jump, you know, the whole thing's got to be moving. You know, and it's got to be efficient. So I, what, what about you? I, I guess I, I want to ask you. Pick on me a little what, bit. Well, no. Talk about your experiences now. I mean, you're a few months in. When did you start your Saturday sessions? Wow. I mean, at this point, I, I want to say I, I coached December winter of sixteen. So yes, yeah, so in December. December. Yeah. So you started December. Take us through that journey of. Uh, now going from a vaulter, and okay, you coached a little bit at one time at Weekwake, Week but now you, you have a Saturday session. They're your kids. Take us through that. How has that changed maybe the way you view or think about the vault, you know, stuff like that? Well, I feel like we could do a, a whole podcast just on this, but I, I mean, if I were to summarize it, um, you know, I, I still, the only reason I'm jumping is because I have a huge love and passion for the sport and I, I know that I can jump higher than what I've jumped. So I'm going to continue um, until I, you know, really can't jump anymore until I'm as what efficient as possible and until I hit those marks or those goals that I've really set for myself. And, you know, being a coach and really spending more time uh, focusing on other athletes and, um learning how to develop their jumps, I mean, has really, really helped me in, in my journey and, and really try to help me, I guess, create those neural pathways, which will, you know, help, help me jump higher. But what's most important to me now is becoming a better athlete, um, a better pole vaulter for them. Um, I want to be able to provide yeah. whatever I, I didn't have, you know, whatever coach TC, even though he was a great guy, um, couldn't, couldn't really give me, you know, um, I could have jumped much higher in high school if I was working with you or at a club, um, if I had the right training and and I didn't have that opportunity and a lot of people don't, you know, and you mentioned the resources, the information that, that it's not out there. And, and now with the internet and all these blogs and, um, and YouTube, there are so many videos. I mean, the information is out there. If you search for it, want to get better look, apply yourself, you know, a lot of these things are, I mean, everyone knows about the free takeoff. A lot of people know that the pole carry is extremely important, you know, but, but they give it lip service. They're not applying it. (laughs) They're they're totally not applying it. So I I mean, for, for me, and and we talked uh, briefly about this, but you know, we spoke and and maybe we'll do a picture right after this, but like it's simple stuff. Like, right. When you carry the pole, it's like the elbow should be down and back. And yet you got people with their elbows flared out and they're hunched over the whole yeah. runway. And like you said, it's like, so they give it lip service and they don't actually apply it, yeah. you know? And, and going back to something that you said, you know, giving the kids what you didn't have, you know, it's so funny because I, I tell people this every once in a while. It's like, you know, in a lot of ways, like my mom is my inspiration. That's awesome. You know, because my mother, like, you know, growing up, 
you know, um, after a certain point, my, my dad had gotten into an accident, you know, working construction. So we didn't have much, but my mom busted her ass, right? Like I remember her working graveyard shifts at a factory and stuff like that. And, and doing that, it's like, instead of buying stuff that she needed, she would always make sure me and my brother had whatever we needed to be successful. You know, like we didn't have a lot, but whatever we needed, we, we got, you know, and that's how I feel about coaching too. You know, like you said, it's like, I want to provide my athletes with what I didn't have. Like I know when I was in high school, I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a lot of poles, you know, we had dragon mats in and out every day. And it's like, so I'm trying to provide my athletes with an experience that I didn't have because I want them to be as successful as possible. And that, that's how I view it. And so like what you said, it's like, I can't afford to not understand something, oh, right? Like athletes can come in, like you can get like sometimes a physical stud comes in and you know, even if this kid understands pole vault 70% mm. at the high school level, they can be like state champion quality or even at the division three level in college, if they're studly enough, they could be all American, you know, but it's like, as a coach, you can't, you have to understand all these concepts in order to explain it, demonstrate it, show it, teach it to all the athletes. You have a bigger responsibility. You know what I mean? It's not just about you anymore. And it's so funny how that changes your mentality to it, you know? Well, it needs to. You know, yeah. it totally needs to change your mentality because it's not just about you anymore, right? And that, and that's kind of what my journey has been. I've been jumping now for cheese. I mean, I want to say seven plus years, probably probably closer to eight or nine. But, um, you know, now coaching well, them. When, when did you start in high school? Well, I started sophomore year. Right, so three, three, four, four seven. Jesus oh my Christ. god, longer, bro! Like no, probably ten like, years. Dude. I'm approaching, <laughs> approaching my tenth year. Yeah, I mean, it's a journey, you know. And yeah. I, I'm glad that you've uh, mentioned it that way. You know, that's all it is. And a lot of people get um, consumed with the PRs and, and and the bars. And for me, it's it's not about that. Even though I would certainly love to jump much higher than what I've jumped, you know. And PRs are great, but I mean, this has taught me so much, and I've talked about it in an earlier podcast and I think that we'll have many more where we can talk yeah. about you know what this has done for for at least me personally or us and um, I think we should also do one on sacrifice because a lot of sacrifices have been made mm -hmm. to get us here yeah not just on the individual level but our family members right yeah and you mentioned your mom being your um, you know like a biggest inspiration I can completely yeah. agree you know and, and relate to that you know my mom has done um, she's gone above and beyond, you know, and she really helped me do this. And for that, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for her and, and grateful for you because, you know, if it wasn't for you as well, I, we probably wouldn't be here doing this podcast and <laughs> having a good time talking about this. And I probably wouldn't have had the experience or the journey that I'm having mm -hmm. now coaching my kids. Um, but getting back to the kids, um, like I said, what I want to do is, you know, take it to the next level and try to uh, go above and beyond for them and give them what I didn't have, you know, and it's, it's not so much about the pole vault, even though bottom line, it's just about the pole vault. It's, I think more importantly, what? is what can I teach them? What can they take out of this? Because they might not feel the same way that I do about this, you know, but if they can learn some of the, I guess, what is it? The, the, the traits or, or, you know, I think failure is huge. And, and one of the biggest reasons I'm still here was because I failed all the time. And I was like, I should be a lot better and I can be better. <laughs> so how do I learn from my mistakes? How do I use the tools and the resources to, to advance, you know? And I've yeah. applied that in my financial career, in, in my personal life. Yeah, relationships. 
relationships. I mean, it, it, it's really done so much for me. And like I said, I've been doing this for almost 10 years now. Jesus yeah, Christ. And, and, and it's funny too, like you mentioned the extremes, you know, there's always the, the, the extremes, you know, it's like that, the, the positive things, the, the negative things. And, and you always have to kind of think on both ends. Like, yes, it's about the pole vault, but it's not about the pole vault, right? Those are extreme levels. Yeah. It's about the pole vault, but it's not about the pole vault. Bottom line. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and because it's true. Like, even that elite vaulter, even even someone of Renault Lavillany stature, right, who broke the world record, you know, he, he's got Olympic gold, Olympic silver, and I, maybe Olympic bronze. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, but, but, you know... As great as his career is, at some point it will end and he will have many years thereafter to live. And hopefully he took something from that career. He learned something like, like you said, dealing with failure, you know, um, how to make a plan for success, how to continue to evolve and grow, right? Like as a pole vaulter, look, I, I don't care what technique you teach. It doesn't take that long for someone to learn. If they've been jumping with you for whatever, 10 years, they probably understand a lot of stuff. All right. And honestly, there's some people that are so good. They pick up technique pretty well, like less than a year. So then it's like, how do we keep evolving this? How do we keep getting better? Right. Well, as a human being, if you're not evolving and growing, you are sad, man, because it's going to be boring. You're going to have like 40, 50 years of freaking nothing. Like, you know what I mean? You're just going to be, you know, it's like, and I, I was talking to you today. It's like, I felt like, you know, I, I'm pretty happy. I'm a happy guy. I'm happy with my life. I really enjoy what I do. And I was at the me and like this one coach walked up and, you know, in New Jersey, we're allowed to have bungees during warmups, but this rule change happened a couple of years ago. And I guess this coach didn't know about it. And she came in and you could just feel the energy. She was just like upset and angry. And she's like, you need to take this bungee down right now. You know, it's like, <laughs> she was so angry. And it's like, you're just not happy with life. And the thing is, it goes back to like what you were saying about pole vault training. Like, yes, at the end of the day, we all want to jump high. We all want to PR. We want to win state champs, national champs, USA's, Olympics, blah, blah, blah. But, but now bring it back to life. If you didn't learn anything during that process, you didn't learn about change and evolution, you're going to be that chick that's pissed that somebody put a bungee up. You know what I mean? No, you, you need to know. It's like every day you should be learning and growing. You know, and how do you do that? How do you plan for it? You know, how do you prepare for it? How do you deal and overcome with failure? Because yeah. failure is going to happen. And again, I know now we're talking about opposing things. Like earlier in the, the podcast, I mentioned you shouldn't be failing at practice. Huh. And you shouldn't. I don't think you should be getting stood up and running through for two hours. But you will face failure. However that failure is. Maybe it's not getting stood up. Maybe it's just you didn't, you didn't PR today. So it's like, how do you deal with that failure? How do you appropriately overcome that, you know? And, and th- these, these are important concepts that you hopefully are learning through your journey through pole vault, you know? I'm so glad you brought that up because, I mean, now, you know, through my, my journey and my experience and from a coach's perspective, I think this is a conversation we've had before. But, you know, I, it scares me, man. It, it really terrifies me to, to know that what if my message isn't effective? What if they're not learning what they need to learn what if i i pour my heart and soul into this and i'm not compelling enough or i'm not clear enough and they're not understanding you know i one one thing that i've learned from you and i i really try to um you know 
apply in every single session is, you know, talking to the kids. Did they feel it? Did they get the feedback that they needed to, you know, to understand that that was a successful jump or an unsuccessful jump? Now, going back to your experience, you know, you've been coaching for 10 plus years. I mean, I, I know that you've had athletes where maybe you, you poured your heart and soul into it or really applied yourself mm -hmm. to really help them get to the next level. And maybe from a personal or individual level, they weren't able to, um, you know, take it to the next level, whether that was in the pole vault or in their personal life. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it's interesting, man. I, I really, my drives back home um, are very reflective, you know, and I, I really hope, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys are listening to these, any of my, my athletes, but, you know, I, I hope that I'm, I'm being clear and I hope that I'm able to um, provide something for you that's beneficial every single time you come here. And I know that, we're not always going to be successful in terms of our jumps and we're not always going to have a lot of fun, but a lot of times we will, you know, um, I just, I need to know that you guys are going to be getting something out of it. And I need to feel that, that feedback myself, right. So that I can progress as a coach and be able to continue, you know, providing what I, what I can and helping you progress. Well, you know, and I think we all take from our backgrounds. And so some people may or may not know um, I studied English in, in college mm -hmm. and I was an English teacher for seven or eight years. And, you know, so the way I almost think about a practice is like a story. And each individual athlete has their own story and there's a moral to the story. So I don't know, like even tonight, I don't know if you saw, because I, what I love is like something like tonight, like I came from a meet, somebody was covering my practice and Andrew was coming in because he, he practices at 630 on Wednesdays. And Andrew got here early, so he's, like, observing the practice. But then I came in, and I'm watching. I can see Andrew observing me coach, and it was great. I love it. And I don't know if you caught on to this, but it was, like, each individual athlete had their own story, their own lesson that they were trying to learn, you know. It was a pole vault lesson maybe. And maybe sometimes it was a life lesson. You know, it depends on the athlete. But, you know, it's like, and I kind of always try to pull the kid aside before they leave and be like, hey, did that make sense? Did you understand, for example, let's say it was like that you got to jump up, right? Long, short. You got to have that penultimate step. I got to see a nice drive knee. Did that make sense? Do you feel how that affected you? Yes. Because I need that confirmation from them that they're walking away from today feeling some kind of success. Or if it was a failure, Feeling that, yes, I get what's preventing me from getting the next level, right? Because then years down the road, like you said, you need to be able to recognize what's holding you back in life. And can you get to the next level? You know what I mean? And, and that's always there. And so a lot of times, I mean, it's a pole vault club. It's about pole vault. But I will tell you, especially with collegiate athletes or older high school kids, a lot of times it's something deeper. It's something deeper. It might be the lesson of like, listen, I know you want to make mom and dad happy. Everybody wants to. Be, I, I just mentioned to you that my mom is my inspiration, right? But you know what? I don't care what my mom thinks about what I want to do because mm. I have to live my life. And I, yeah. and I always tell this to, to some of my closer athletes. To this day, if I were to call up my parents and be like, mom, dad, I'm getting a quote unquote regular job. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> they would be ecstatic. Ecstatic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But the thing is you got to do what you got to do. So sometimes it's that conversation. 
You know, because I have a lot of kids that I, I'm blessed. You know, I have a lot of kids who are very good kids, very good, very disciplined. But, you know, sometimes that fear, and um, I don't know if you've heard of Gary Vanderchuk, Gary V. Of course. Dude, he talks about that all the time. Sometimes what's holding someone back is feeling like they let down a parent. They let down, you know, a friend, a brother, a sister, you know, maybe even a spouse. And it's like, you've got to do what you feel you need to do. And sometimes that's the lesson that they need to learn. It's not about takeoff. It's not about (laughs) planting the pole earlier. You know, it's something like that, you know. So... It's it's huge, and and I think that's that's a very important aspect, and it all ties in, you know, doesn't it? You know, most importantly, I, I I feel that way, and not maybe not everyone does, you know, maybe they they're just pole vaulting and they're having a lot of fun and they they want to clear high bars, but I I always at least on my ride back home, I I ref- take some time out to reflect and maybe even meditate and and think about how the lessons that I'm learning here can translate into all other areas of my life. And, and I can become a better person because of that. You know, um, besides pole vault, all I did was skateboard, you know, that's not, a, I had a great time, but it, it didn't teach me the lessons. That I, I, I think that's like the stereotype, <laughs> right? Like surfing or skateboard, <laughs> then pole vault. Then pole vault <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. I, I don't know. I, I had to hurt myself far too many times to be better and to, to really learn. Um, I, I wasn't getting as much out of that as I, as I did of this you know and as i continue to get out of this you know um but the fact that it it translates into literally i want to say all areas of my life i mean this is the most valuable thing i've i've done and you know i've got a college degree you know that's uh, that's not saying much but i, I mean <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still something um, i mean i know the college degree isn't what it used to be but yeah no not most expensive piece of paper you'll ever own that's for sure but I mean, maybe in conclusion, it, it interestingly enough, you know, I, I'm thinking about that analogy or the paradox that you said, and you know, the slower you go, the what is it, the faster you get there, right? Yeah. Tortoise in the hare. I don't know. I, I think the you know having a plan, like you were saying before, you know, knowing what that destination is, and and not really getting you know consumed with arriving there because the journey is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, for for sure. I mean, you know, I think that's something that I understand, feel more today than I ever have. Because, I mean, I remember, and I've told this story, I know Craig knows, when uh, Craig was my first national champ, then Michelle Favre won two. But, um, you know, Craig won nationals, he jumped 17, five and a half. And again, uh, going back to consistency, Hmm. he won that day because he had zero misses. He had a perfect day. That's how we won. But I remember laying in the bed in the hotel room and just staring at the ceiling and going like, man, we should have got that next bar. Wow. And, and I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy. Yeah. You know? And I'm not saying that was like completely wrong. Like I think as a coach, you should always be kind of searching for how Absolutely. to get to that next stage and trying to evolve. Yeah. But – In retrospect. Going back to what you said about like the journey, it's like enjoy the journey. Yeah enjoy the journey like you know this year at the club like you know and it was only two years ago we had a state champ and you know had a national qualifiers in, in division three and this year's a little bit slower year as far as like those results but we got a lot of young kids and they're learning you know and i'm enjoying the journey you know what i mean and and it's sometimes tough for me because some of the people that i've coached over the years i have such high standards like you said yeah. but the thing is aaron you know, him jumping 13-6 on Monday, that was fun, man. Yeah. 
And for him to drop the grip, but PR and jump a foot and a half higher than he did with a little less grip than he had last year, that's awesome. That's awesome, you know. And I'm enjoying that. And who cares what everybody else is doing? Yeah. You know what I mean? Literally. Watching some of the young kids like Meg, like you know, I know Meg's gonna be a big, big, uh, you know, competitor for us. Or or how about Sophia, who's in Ooh. eighth grade? I mean, that girl is like uh, an assassin, you know. <laughs> and and you know, even Lily, Lily's having her first competition back since indoors. She was dealing with a little bit of a back injury, like you know, that's exciting. And I don't care what anybody else thinks or does or whatever. You have to enjoy that journey, you know? Enjoy the process. Yeah, the process. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, but hey, uh, thank you again, Andrew. Yes. This is a great podcast. Anytime. And I apologize to any of our listeners. Uh, I know we've had a couple weeks since the last podcast, but you know how track season gets. It gets crazy out there. Yeah, we're still um, here. But we'll be looking to do some more exciting podcasts, uh, hopefully once the season ends. Um, I'm sure we'll get one or two more before the season ends. Um, but we're going to line up a good summer stuff. So yeah, look, you don't want to miss look it. forward to it, you know, good stuff. um, catch you guys next time. See ya.